The Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is brought to you by Saga, a world leader in innovative BFR technology. For more information on our Bluetooth-enabled auto-calibrating BFR cuffs, head over to our website at saga.fitness. And if you'd like to pick up a set for yourself, you can save 20% with the discount code BFRPODCAST. One of the things that I wanted to ask you to start is I know you've done quite a bit of education on the BFR side. And I know some of it's online, but from my understanding, a good good chunk of it has been in person. So you've been exposed to a lot of questions, I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, around that's... BFR. Do you have kind of like a, when you think about that, when you hear me say that, is there a couple of questions that come to mind or, or things that you think are most commonly maybe misunderstood or uh, that trip people up about BFR when you do these seminars or educational kind of experiences? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question because they're... <laughs> There are a lot of questions that come up and um, I was trying to find like a, a top, I'm going to say like tips and tricks kind of thing. Uh, I'd say one of the biggest misconceptions that I think that happened, uh, my, my takeaway would be that it's ultimately safer than people think. I think the, when you just think about it on the surface, like what you're doing, it, it sounds kind of, in, it sounds kind of inherently not safe. And so I think the takeaway is trying to display some of the fears of, listen, this has been successfully and safely applied for years now and stacks of literature continue to uh, stack behind it that says this, this works, it's successful, and it's something that we should be, I, I would say, implementing. I would have my answer on this. I'm curious what your answer is. When people are concerned about safety, what's kind of the number one question that you get? What are they often? Yeah, I, I would about? say blood clots is like the top thought. And um, there's a quote from uh, the Patterson article back, I think it's 2018, 2019, that basically says, it, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to totally quote it, but basically it says the totality of the literature does not have adverse events related to venoth venous thromboembolism like basically clotting or anything like that. And it just, and that's a systematic review meta-analysis, like the literature that's out there just doesn't exist that it increases your risk for that. And, um, that's recent. That's, that just keeps coming up. So that, that's one that, and that's the biggest scare. Would you agree to that? Does that sound like you're the biggest scare for people for you on your end? Yeah, I'd say blood clots. The next one would be blood pressure. Sure. And we've done a, a, a wrote a blog article on this and have done an episode, actually a full episode on BFR and blood pressure. And it's like, you know, if you look at a very surface level without any level of abstraction, you'd think uh, potentially BFR uniquely improves or increases blood pressure uh, relative to just intensity matched exercise, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. Um, and so I think blood clots, is that kind of how you, do you just generally point to literature i mean that's obviously the best best way of going about yeah it. I um, does that seem to quell people's concerns yes yeah, so i would say ultimately like you're gonna for my point of view i always say like listen while i like to consider myself very well versed in the subject matter like don't listen to me if that's if you don't want to take it from me who again i'd like to think i have at least some credibility to stand on with that i'd say but, but here here's here's this article and this article and this article, feel free to read it yourself and, you know, understand what they have to say about it. So uh, yeah, I like to defer when I can to, uh, again, I'll, I'll bring you my two cents, but, but yeah, take it from these people that have published stuff that have studied it, that uh, they're well, well-versed in the subject matter as well. And if they're going to say this, and then here's this article, this article, this article, this, this population, that populate, you know, like that's something, well, what about me? You know, that's the, 
the next thought of this person has their own concerns. I'm like, all right, well, here's a population like you that was studied and here's what it said about your population. You know, I think we can kind of get into the generally young, healthy populace is pretty low hanging fruit, but even beyond that, those, even that, in, those individuals have concerns and that's fair that they do, but yeah, I, I would say that's sort of my go-to. Do you get concerns from parents on youth athletes? Definitely, definitely. But it's, it's interesting when, um, this is weird and maybe this isn't the best approach, but one of the things that I'll do at the end, so like it, if I'm thinking that I'm heading that direction with a youth athlete and their parent is with them at the session that I'm treating and, and we'll talk through and I'll say, tell me what your biggest concerns are. And you know, they'll usually voice, well, it sounds like you're gonna, you know, restrict the blood flow into their leg. And that sounds like it's going to be dangerous again, using the leg as an example here in this case, but and I will, I will say, do you mind if, would you, everything that I've said, because I've, I will have educated them a little bit. So would you mind if I put one cuff on one limb and had them do one exercise and just see if they can kind of walk through what it feels like. And, you know, like knowing that I've said, I've, I've literally done this maybe thousands of times at this point in time and had zero serious adverse reaction. And usually they'll concede that, you know, and we'll move forward and the, the kid does the, the move and. They had done it previously easily and then they do it with BFR on and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so tough. This is so tiring, you know, and like that, that's exactly right. This is your injured limb. I just had you do it with your good limb and it was easy. I'm having to do it with your injured limb and it didn't cause you increased pain. It's safe to do based on your, the structural integrity that I'm being, that I'm allowed to work with. And now you just got this max fatigue and a muscle that you couldn't have done something more aggressive in and kind of get that immediate buy-in, you know, no adverse effects immediate muscle fatigue that is going to train an under trained area. And like I said, that's sort of like, let me show you proof is in the pudding in one in, in five minutes to get that buy-in. But you, it sometimes takes a little more than that before you actually put it on. But yeah, that's a long answer to that question, I guess. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think when, when you and I were exchanging emails briefly before this, you mentioned, you know, I think obviously there's a good deal of education on the internet and elsewhere around the traditionally understood benefits of blood flow restriction or, or, or maybe applications of blood flow restriction. Uh, but there are other applications or other scenarios where you think, you know, potentially the focus is maybe too narrow. Um, could you maybe dive into some of those and maybe some areas that people may be missing out on applications of BFR? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, um, I would say that maybe you've, you've, uh, covered this previously, but I, I would, well, I know you have in some of your previous podcasts, uh, discussed like sort of the, the injured population is the home run, so to speak. It's, it's the population that it, it was almost, it seems like it was almost designed for. They, they can't, uh, you know, they can't have too much load and force because the tissues don't allow for it. So that's sort of where people get their entry point a lot of times or, or like a deloading, uh, you know, heavy lifting strength training individual that that's their, their connective tissues a little beat up and they need a break. And so let's, let's deload a little with BFR, but still keep a little mechanical tension on the muscle groups, kind of those, those kind of applications. And while that's great, and I, that's still what I use it by far the most for. And I, I would even say when I started training, I was pretty against any kind of speed or velocity or quick movements or anything because it was like hey listen this is you're impacting the blood flow into and out of a limb and so as such you need to be cautious and do light loads and slow and controlled moves 
And while I still think that is true, I don't, I think that's very accurate. There's some evidence that says, let's see what we can do by moving a little quicker or doing a little more uh, explosive work. And, and it's all, it, let me back that up even a little bit more to say, I don't think that's true yet. And I'll be hard pressed to see if that's upper quarter true. Like for example, I've seen some literature and I can cite some of it for you. Probably I'd have to pause to look some of that up, but with like jumping and sprinting, and again, I'm going to use sprinting loosely, like not max sprints and not max jumps, but things that are included with a little bit more quick movement uh, patterns than just that sl typical slow controlled patterns, but like things like throwing, there's already a lot of stress on the neurovascular structures with throwing. I don't think kind of pinning those tissues in an upper quarter and throwing an object right now is advised. And I haven't seen any literature that would support that it would be advised. So I am still cautioning the upper quarter on that, but I, I was proven wrong with the lower quarter. I'd say proven wrong isn't the right term, but like there's a sprinting study that, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, or, um, but where they just took college age um, individuals and they had them, they timed them in the 100 meter dash, they got their, their max time, and then they put BFR on them and had them train a couple times a week at 60 to 70% of their max speed. They would do like six or so cycles of 100 meter dash, but only go, let's say they ran a 10 second, six meter dash. They're going to be, you know, more like a, a 14 second, 60 meter dash, but they're still somewhat sprinting. And anyway, at the end of that, they found that the muscle thickness was bigger. Like the rectus femoris grew in size. They their sprint times actually decreased, even though they never ran more than 60 or 70%, which is kind of crazy to think about that. They did no overspeed training. It was all BFR related training. And then they kind of had a rate force development so they could kind of generate a type two fiber recruitment a little quicker. So that again, very non-traditional. I would have never thought to even do that study. What are your thoughts on that? Or have you seen anything like that yourself? Yeah, that's really interesting. I had heard uh, bits and pieces here and there and, um, to me, it didn't seem convincing enough historically. And totally. We get, so we get, this is, I'm really glad you brought this up because this is like super interesting to me. Um, we get a lot of at Saga, we get people will send videos of them training BFR and we'll see a lot of, you know, plyo jumps and people mm -hmm. will hang clean and power clean and snatch. And I've generally been known to suggest that not that it's dangerous. It's uh, obviously it doesn't appear to be dangerous. It just seems to me counterintuitive. Like if you are attempting to do something um, max velocity, mm -hmm. a sprint, a jump, occluding blood flow to your limb, <laughs> like you know, th this is why traditional or like modern strength coaches stopped running gassers to get people faster because you, you know you fatigue your legs too much and you're not you're not working on top end speed anymore or even uh, uh, acceleration. Totally. So I've been pretty opposed to it historically, but um, I did skim through that study that you're referencing and hearing you talk about it now, it's what's fascinating about it is that they weren't. Sprinting. Exactly. Uh, and so this, this kind of continues. It seems like the theme with BFR um, is that it's, it's almost like this, this little separate avenue for when you're, you know, because just you know, being straight up, the likelihood of pulling a hamstring when you're uh, max effort sprinting is fairly high. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you can, of course, if you took a Olympic athlete and had them do this, this protocol, they're probably not going to get any faster An Olympic hundred meter dash sprinters. Sure. But a majority of the population aren't Olympic athletes. <laughs> right. Sprinters. Right. 
So I think this is very interesting. And, and if there is an opportunity to build speed via, it might just be via through um, hypertrophy, uh, you know, rectus femoris and greater size muscle has greater capacity to produce force. And the, but they got that adaptation through just sprinting. They weren't even right, sprinting, which is right, really right. Yeah, no. And that's, and that's, I love that you said that because like, I'm still, I, I, we're on the exact same page. I still haven't seen any literature and it doesn't sound correct to do anything max effort, high velocity the extreme load end of things while your blood flow is being restricted. It just, it, it doesn't make sense. I can't see that being safe. And I know that some people can quote do it, you know, on Instagram, you see that happen or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you can get, a, you're getting away with it, but isn't, I'm not going to program that. Like, that's not something I've not seen that support in the literature for me to do that. However, this sub max sprint did improve max sprint. Like, okay, that, that, that I can get into. I can see that. And yeah, cellularly is that because it typed it tapped into some bigger size which there's your type two and then you have the type two and so more unit, motor units available to get your speed yeah possibly but but yeah and you're right you're high-end guys and gals that are you know olympic athletes are maybe not using this for that purpose and that's fair too but i will say um i know that like i'm gonna use because you said th this is a perfect segue for your hamstring uh with a max max sprint it's the same thing with like the inherent uh dangers of downhill skiing like so i know the u.s ski and snowboarding team is using bfr to some capacity i don't know about the entirety of the team obviously but some of those athletes are using bfr and it's dangerous to downhill ski like that is inherently a dangerous thing but the amount of fatigue that goes into your legs being in that position and trying to uh safely navigate that hill and again if you're doing slalom or anything like that and you're trying to go around a course how do you get that max fatigue and that without the risk of a fall and a season ending or career ending injury bfr on those simulators is way better than no bfr on those simulators so they're using the coursework but instead of just staying tucked in body weight that you can't simulate downhill as well let's throw the cuffs on and and really kind of crush those leg muscles while you're doing it. So it's a nice supplement in a safer way in that capacity that I would argue does have some performance overlap. Although currently it seems anecdotal. I don't, I can't say anything on that, but I know it's being that utilized. Is, so yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. It's, it's, um, it almost seems like there is, I was kind of getting at this earlier, but if you can sort of the same way that you can, at least for muscle gain, uh, for hypertrophy adaptations, you can mimic some of the effects of high, higher load training at lower loads. Um, if you extrapolate that out and just apply it in different ways, um, you can reduce injury, reduce the risk of injury in, in more ways than I think we've thought about historically. The sprinting is a really good example. Do you, when you um, speak with people, like how would you go about informing somebody that they could realistically program something like that in their life um it seems like a relatively easy thing to apply maybe get a couple 60 to sub max sprint sessions in i guess it's by nature not a sprint if it's sub max <laughs> sure sub max effort uh you know running in a couple times a week under bfr seems relatively yeah i've i've really went so i have programmed things like this and it's all interval based kind of like what you had said and and i definitely use i will in the paper that I will give them a handout, it will literally say the word sprint in quotes for that exact uh, purpose that you just you just mentioned. Like it's not by definition a sprint because they're not all out. It's just 
there's an intent of picking up the intensity and then allowing some level of recovery. Like it could be a walk jog or it could be a jog, uh, quicker jog. Like, and I'll usually do, um, again, with most of my athletes, I don't like prolonged, uh, work with BFR. So I would set up like, uh, let's call it a 60 yard, 20 yard lead up, 20 yard quote sprint, 20 yard decel. And then that would be with BFR on and they would, they could do that just linearly. They could do that from a back pedal to a, to a sprint and from a side shuffle to a sprint. But again, if you've got an athlete who's very conditioned, but they're only moderately deconditioned from their injury or they're in a deloading program right now where they've, they're pretty beat up, but they don't want to lose some of their gains. That's a nice, it's easy. It's, it's the impact of just light jogging for the most part. And they're just going a little quicker in the mid phase. And then they get this muscle fatigue with that associated with that. And that has some potential carryover. The, the argument that I would make that I don't have good information to share, and I'll always caveat this is that specificity of training element. And we all know that that still holds water. I mean, the literature still supports that, but we know people that have gotten away without being specific and, and crushed it. it. It's just not ideal, right? Like it's not what you would, you wouldn't want to train a, any athlete you're not going to not shoot free throws if you want to be better shooting free throws, right? Like, I don't know how else to say it. So yeah, I, I've definitely programmed that. I've had people successfully apply that, but I wouldn't say that I have performance metric uh, compared that in fairness. Like I'm not saying they're 60 times better, they're 40 times better, whatever that after that, it's just more of a training opportunity for them to get in where they feel the benefits of BFR. Yeah. And it's, you know, obviously uh, competing athletes that's going to be sprinting probably should have exposure to sprints and, you know, not under BFR. Yes. Um, but there are these opportunities. There's almost like this t uh, time cost savings with BFR um, where if it, by nature, the BFR sessions are generally shorter, mm -hmm. which is cool. Um, and then if there's a lot of instances where if you're going to do something, you could just add BFR and capture some of these other benefits by doing the exact same thing, plus strapping a cuff around. You know, it's it's like a, a very interesting uh, modality that just the time of applying a cuff and obviously putting it at the proper pressure, you can capture these additional benefits, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that there's some, there's, to, to go back to maybe the very first part of your question that kind of led us down this route is, there are opportunities to capture benefit with BFR that we are just traditionally, if we're stuck in the 33 sets of 15 controlled load, 20 to 30% of one RM that we are missing the boat greatly on. It's funny. We, um, somehow it's like kind of laughable that of all topics, uh, we, uh, we just did a series on BFR and improving cognition. And of all topics, it warranted a three. We're actually going to do a fourth part. So four parts. <laughs> right. It was like still random. Um, Brief pause. If you're enjoying the BFR podcast and want to learn more about BFR training, we've put together a free BFR ebook for you. The comprehensive guide to BFR training covers everything from basics of BFR physiology to benefits, protocols, research reviews, and more. You can find a link to download it in the show notes or directly on our site at saga.fitness. All right, let's get back to the show. I was like, we should probably should get some endurance episodes up first before we go this deep. <laughs> cognition, cognition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, I just 
one weekend went down the rabbit hole and was like, all right, this is going to be warrant a lot of episodes. But one of the interesting things just on that is um, it seems like lactate accumulation has some favorable impacts on acute cognition and potentially long-term as well. And so one of the ways that, that this was applied was just a walking study on a treadmill. It was like something like bouts of two minutes followed by one, two minutes on one minute off, I think something like that. Um, walking on a treadmill at a a fairly slow. Oh yeah. 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 And they compared non BFR versus BFR and there's, there's decent, uh, improvements in cognition from BFR, presumably from the, uh, from the lactate accumulation. And it's like, th- there's another example right there where it's like, if you're just going to go walk on a treadmill anyways for 10 or 15 minutes, what? there's really no fatigue, added fatigue cost or a risk, risk of injury right. to just strapping some BFR cups on there. And you kind of capture some, some cool benefits. On the yeah. Market. That's, that's really funny. Um, in one of my presentations, I cite a, like, I, I'm not going to even remember the year it's 2016 to 2018, probably when I'm citing this article and it was all a, uh, but is resistance training with BFR like a good strategy for strategy for cognitive improvement? Like that's basically the, I don't, I don't know if that's the exact title. You'd have to cite me on that, but it, it's all hypothetical. It's all conjecture. And they base it on the same idea of you're, you're tapping into when you do really just resistance training in general, like that you mentioned lactate as a reason. It, it, I don't know cellularly if that, I mean, if that's what you're saying, that article said that makes some logical sense as well, but just the concept of that increases like cortical activation, right? Like that's a interesting, and who would have thought that, right? You're going to walk anyway. You're not trying to stress yourself, like wake up your nervous system. Well, and that segues maybe into the, the jumping study about you're tapping into your nervous system. Yeah. Can you go into that? Yeah. It's not, it, it, it's sort of a, it's new ish, but it was the, the general concept was that if you do BFR, is there an opportunity for some immediate positive impact? And so the, the, this post-activation potentiate potentiation element where just doing some lunges with BFR immediately improved your jump height, your flight time, and like your force generation for up to, I don't think it was like 15 minutes after you did it more or less is the summary of the article. And I think, and I don't, I, I don't know enough about the background, so I don't want to overly credit anybody or, or discredit anybody, but I believe that LeBron James a while back had started, and I'm not saying with BFR necessarily, but it started like pre-game movements to try to do that post-act, that PAP, right? He's trying to tap into that potentiation so that he's ready to go instead of the traditional, I'm doing layups and I'm going to shoot around. I'm going to midcourt, having my trainer stretch me out. Like instead of that mantra of getting loose, like he's doing something beyond that so that he's clicking right when the the balls tossed up. And again, I don't, I don't know the background of that, but I know that that's the concept and they just use BFR and showed that, yeah, immediately it was, I don't know, four or 5% better with height, flight time and power, which is meaningful. If you're a, an athlete that you would take anything you can get. It goes right back to the, the same principle of BFR where it, traditionally, like I, I imp- implement uh post-activation potentiation pretty multiple times a week when i'm training even just something as simple as um you know if i'm if i'm doing incline bench and i'm working up to uh i'm tempted to inflate my but if i'm working up to, yeah, 405 yeah, right, 10, yeah, like obviously 
Um, but you know, if my, if my working set is going to be at 225, I will warm up, I will take my last warm up set to 245. Mm-hmm. Um, just just a couple reps and then go back down. And regardless of, of whether or not there was any literature on post activation potentiation, I would still do this because you just feel better. Like you just, <laughs> yeah. your, your nervous system is, is primed to take on that weight. But that's how for somebody like LeBron, historically, if you're going to um, implement this, you're going to probably get under heavy load. Uh-huh. Um, and again, this is like another avenue where you could potentially capture some of those benefits at a reduced energy cost or potentially maybe a reduced injury risk cost by, you know, doing some lunges or, uh, you know, something. under. Yeah, well, and that's and just like those athletes are in, they'll use the Ultra G you know, for the same kind of idea. They're like, hey, listen, I want to keep up some conditioning, but this impact is a little wear and tear on my body and beat up from playing, but I'd like to get a training in. Let's do it at a lesser load. And BFR is an opportunity for that. And I guess my elevator pitch, anytime somebody wants to ask about BFR, I I consistently say that BFR works because exercise works. Like literally everything we're talking about right now is tapping into the human body and what it can do. And you're just using restricting or modifying your blood flow to access that and that's like the nuts and bolts of it and we only know a fraction of its potential because it's still being studied and learned and we're trying to place it in these uh opportunities so that we can have success and carry over with it and we're trying to use the literature to guide that but consistently you're gonna have to trial and error it a little bit if if you're waiting on the literature to quote prove something you're gonna you're gonna be waiting a while but again i don't want to caveat that and stop by saying no, no that doesn't mean be unsafe and just test the waters but i mean you can use concepts to tap into that just like you mentioned in your incline press you know totally i the last uh, our last guest i asked him towards the end i said what what are you experimenting with at home that you wouldn't be willing to come out there and say <laughs> you know there's literature to support but you're you're willing to kind of there's enough logic to suggest maybe it's a good idea um that's an interesting question do you on that study the did they hypothesize that it was just increased sympathetic nervous system um arousal that would have led to this or what do you remember Uh, that's a good question i'm trying to remember the exact like how they kind of got to where they they got to i think that they were um i i believe i don't want to to misquote it but they were they were trying to talk about the just the stretch shortening stretch shortening cycle that they could tap into that quicker than any other kind of uh preloading like or non-loading i should say or if you just did lunges where you're not fatigued enough where it's not stimulate stimulating the fibers enough that you couldn't get into that stretch shortening quick enough i believe that's what they're trying to do but i think it's a little tough to prove the neuromuscular element so i'd have to i'd have to relook at that article to be able to say exactly I, i guess my thought was it's the quick stretch shortening element but i would imagine it was really brief because obviously if you do enough lunges with BFR. You're not going to be jumping at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it know, was, I don't think they did the more day. than eight. Like it was a very low number of lunges they did. I shall have to pull that up. It was, I'm telling you, it was, I think it was sub 10. It was multiple. It was like two or three sets of like eight lunges. That was it. And there's like, boom, very let's, and to your point, like you're getting it quickly. You're in a time crunch. You get a high effect and a low time. And there's your, there's your window of opportunity. I do think that's all they did. It was just like, hey, pre I'm going to say pre-game. I'm not saying they were going out and competing, but you could. They had three sets of eight lunges. That's nothing, but now you're coming out a little springy. Like, all right. 
it's worth it's worth a try i'm curious i, I may give it a go see what you think very interesting <laughs> What uh, I'm curious, uh, you mentioned in in your email, I believe you mentioned a bit about pain mitigation. Yeah. Um. Obviously, obviously, there's literature here, but as far as like you in the field as well, like, what do you see? Uh, you know, whether it's youth athletes or people coming in with just pain overall as a as a pain mitigation. It's it is wild, and I wish I could. It's like um, I'm going to give an analogy here. So, I I work with an orthopedic surgeon who has done ACL reconstructions for 30 years. And he, the way that he phrases, he will tell the patients and the families, you're going to wake up and your thigh is going to be smaller. I mean, almost immediately. It's, it's, it's crazy how this is going to happen. You will get immediate atrophy that you didn't have pre-surgery, even though you already had the tear, you maybe were already down a little bit. It's, it's crazy how quickly that atrophy happens visibly, measurably. And then he'll say that and he said that, and then he will still be surprised by it. And he knows 30 years of it. And he's still like, I cannot believe how that happens still that quickly, how the body quickly does that to that muscle or that muscle group specifically. Um, and so to my point, I'm saying that about BFR, the amount of patients that I have with, I'm going to just say general knee pain. It could be a little OA, it could be patellofemoral, it could be patellar tendon, uh, any reason why they're having knee pain. And I do a session with BFR and they walked in with, with some level of pain, one to five, just, just body weight walking in. We do a session with BFR where they are working to fatigue, they're shaky, they're tired, they're sweating sometimes, they're, they're working hard in therapy, which is pretty cool because sometimes that's not happening in physical therapy, unfortunately. They're, it's a little too casual. And they're walking out the door and they stop on the way out the door and say, my knee doesn't hurt because they just are used to it hurting. And they're, while they're exercising, they're like, yeah, you know, stuff's, you, you know, it's hard and all that, but they're not po focused on their knee pain. And they're leaving and I say, why doesn't my knee hurt? Like, what, what just happened there? You know, like, that's kind of crazy crazy and there, there could be a number of reasons from beta endorphin release you know to literally just increase blood flow to the area allows you to have less pain and fluidity to the area all of that but anyway that i think you're working more efficiently around the joint that was probably problematic and any number of those reasons why you have less pain but the research doesn't have like a reason and i don't know if it ever will exercise is good yeah, it's it's interesting because I've and I'm curious to hear your response on this, but I've talked to a number of practitioners now who all uh, swear by they'll say like the, we don't see these effects. Of you're going to have less pain in almost all cases from just general activity, getting blood flow, getting your heart rate up. Like we right, all know that. But I've spoken with so many who just swear by it, and of course this is anecdotal, but they swear by the application of BFR is like a completely different effect. Have you noticed that? As yeah, well? so much so that I, I have started using it most of the time. If I, if, uh, as an example, like there are times that your patients coming in and, and strength isn't their only deficit. They don't move well. They got to work on their tissue mobility. They got to work, they, their knee doesn't bend to straighten all the way. And so you can't just focus on the strength training, although I'd like to, that's, I'd like to give them their mobility work for home. Sometimes that's, that's not adequate. They're not doing an adequate job at home. And so you can't commit the whole session to that. All of that to say, I've taken it to where, uh, are you familiar with the new step machine? It's like a, um, it's like a seated stepper. It, it, it's very okay. smooth. Actually, all patients love it just cause it's a very, um, easy machine, easier than like a recumbent bike. Cause you're not cyclical. It's sort of a back and forth. You can set the load to nothing almost to pretty heavily resisted. And I will use it as a finisher. Like regularly, I'll throw the cuffs on and you're five minutes on a bike on like a little interval, not a bike, well, bike too, but that new step. And again, this patient was hurting 
and I've given them loading before. It doesn't matter if I gave them uh, any kind of exercise you can name. They might leave and say, yeah, I felt my muscles working, but my knee is still sore. So yes, I got stronger and my knee probably would benefit from it, but it hurt doing that compared to with the BFR. The amount of muscle fatigue you get is so intense and it's easy on the joint that then when they get up from that, they are now in less pain and their knee doesn't hurt and their muscles got this max fatigue. And I'm talking consistently. And so like to your anecdotal point, like, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It, it really is. And I have that, that one article that I was talking about with NEOA patients that had significantly less pain after compared to any training they did, it, it just keeps happening. But this is even just one study about that. But yeah, anecdotally, absolutely. It's, it's a game changer. That's uh, this, the stepper thing is interesting because it's like, let's just assume to some degree that the kind of pump and maybe metabolite accumulation that comes along with uh, what, what they would experience doing that exercise or just on a stationary bike, something like that under BFR um, is the, the pump and metabolite accumulation through several, uh, maybe indirectly, um, is part of what contributes to this reduction in pain. To get to that, just practically, to get to that level of fatigue, when you're in a lot of pain, there's probably a lot of instances where it's just tough. You'd have to move at a faster speed or with enough force output to get there, uh, where it's difficult to get to that level without BFR. Yeah, you no, I think that? that's a, I think that's well said. I think that ultimately... That is part of the problem with non-BFR training and in individuals who have pain. They can't get to that. Like they're not, they're not, it, it hurts too badly to work that hard on their musculature. And with BFR, they'll, they can work harder to get that fatigue without the pain. And so then they get the benefits of the, all of the positive cellular effects. Like you, like you were talking about metabolite accumulation and any kind of growth hormone release or anything that would happen in a systemic nature, but they're getting it locally, you know, that local mechanical tension that they couldn't get prior because of the pain, the pain was their limiting factor and they just couldn't push hard enough to get to the fatigue. So definitely. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I wonder, I'll, I want to look into this now in the last podcast with Nathan Smith, he does a lot of research on endurance adaptations mm -hmm. and he mentioned, I think uh, people who've done who've looked into VFR a decent amount are familiar with like the hyperemic response mm. once you remove the cuff. But the way he described it, I, I wasn't aware of, but he talked about um, whether it's intermittent or just in general doing an you know, endurance session or really any uh, activity under BFR, lower limb BFR. Once you remove the cuffs and you, you know, blood rushes through, you have this uh, shear stress mediated vasodilation. So the like, and he, he seems to think that that adaptation lasts for mm -hmm. a bit um, and where you, your femoral artery diameter increases very yeah. substantially, uh, you're resting. And so you have to think that that would contribute potentially to uh, maybe faster recovery times, pain mitigation, et cetera. Yeah, there's some, uh, I, I don't know if public record, but I have a Doppler, like a, like a vascular Doppler where you can see the patency of the artery after, I mean, it's, a, it's definitely bigger. I mean, immediately bigger. Mm -hmm. So to his point, I agree with that. Like, and so that dilation of that has to be beneficial. You know, you get that vascular endothelial growth factor that gets released and that, all of it. It's, it's a very good opportunity, I would imagine, to have that recovery, that reperfusion, all that one. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it really is. It's pretty, pretty wild. What, um, is there anything... Anything else that I'm missing? Any other interesting um, 
applications that you tend to mention or come to mind? Oh gosh. Um, no, I would say that, uh, the biggest takeaway, and I, I would just say application as far as the takeaway in, in, in my two cents of it is, and I kind of started with this, so maybe it's a good way to end with it as well is, is to not be afraid of it. And so that application of the, put it on for one exercise, one move and make it a machine, make it a leg press, make it a, a new step, a recumbent bike, make, make it something that is a low hanging fruit that you know is traditionally low stress for you and just see what happens, you know, you or, or your client or, or, or patient or, or whatever. If you're nervous about it, give one, one credit to it at the end of a session. And I'm going to use patients as an example, because that's my, my population for the most part is if a patient leaves a session feeling like they accomplished something, that's a home run. They're, that's a successful session every time. And if you put BFR on and they got to fatigue without pain, that's an immediate positive impact that you had on them and that will allow some future benefits. So like that application in and of itself was safe. They were successful with it. They felt value from it. And that allows you to do more of the literature-based set rep schemes. So if you're on the new step for three minutes, trying to keep your step count over, let's say 70, I'm just arbitrarily throwing out. And they did that. And by the end of that three minutes, they are gassed in that limb that was restricted. And they're like, oh my gosh, that was three minutes of work. You had a, like a 30, 45 minute session with them and nothing was as powerful as that last three minutes. Now that's going to build for future stuff. And they'll have care. They'll be like, I can't believe I was a little sore later that day. I'm like muscle sore. And I haven't felt muscle soreness in that thigh for a while. So that was great. Let's do some of that again, you know, and then you can start going into, all right, well, to gain actual strength, you're going to probably need to do this a little more regularly and under a little more low, you know, like, okay, let's go strength and conditioning principles now. But you just started with a quick success because you weren't afraid that there was something bad, quote unquote, that was going to happen again. Yeah. Small, small wins. And again, that's a, you know, I don't know if we need a disclaimer that like, you know, you can't take what I just said with your own condition. I don't know you and your given situation and all that, but generally that's a, that's a truth that I just put out there. Just there's some caveats, of course. So this whole conversation is for entertainment. Oh, I love it. Only. That's perfect. Yeah. These, none of this is medical advice right now. <laughs> we do put the disclaimer at the end. Of well, it's, yeah, you, you, uh, yeah, I, I, that's fair. I mean, you can't take what I'm saying as a absolute in your given situation. You're an in a one and all that, but yes, man. Well, this has been really interesting uh, hearing your, your uh, feedback and hearing some of your experience. And I'm really glad you brought up the sprint study because that's, that made for an interesting conversation and, um, something that I'm interested to, to dive in more now, but I really appreciate your time. Yeah, excellent. I appreciate it. It's been, it's been fun and, uh, hopefully, uh, it just keeps growing. I've, I've, I've loved BFR for a number of years now and it's, uh, it's around to stay. So keep putting out the good content, man.